Hello and welcome to French Football Weekly International Edition. And yes, I'm very happy to say we're still here because uh, there may have been rumblings that a podcast might not have happened if certain results didn't go our way. Uh, isn't that right, Mr. Jeremy Smith? How are you doing? I'm all right, thanks. My toys are still in my pram. <laughs> they, I'm sure, much like me, they went in and out of the pram at several points during <laughs> Saturday night's coverage. But yes, Jez did confess to me, boys and girls, that uh, he might not have been available to pod today had things have gone the way that they possibly could have gone at one point in the game but uh luckily they didn't so um just before we get underway in the podcast uh, i apologize it's not going to be crystal clear but uh jez for for a minute and 14 seconds do you fancy going back to saturday night briefly yeah yeah i could probably probably put up with that yeah i think i could too so uh enjoy There you go. So that was uh, that was the one of one of the many French um, TV stations that were covering the game on Saturday night. So for our English speaking listeners, that will probably not mean very much, but you can kind of get a gist from the passion of just what that meant to Les Bleus and their victory over England. Um, we're going to be nice, Jez, and, and not gloat too much because um, I upset a lot of people on Saturday night and I thoroughly enjoyed it. But uh, we're, we're going to sort of mainly focus more on, on things from the French perspective. Um, I could go into, I looked at this sort of uh, pre- previewing this pod and I was thinking, oh, should we go into the stats? Should we go into the records, et cetera? And I'm sure you want to touch on a few of those, but I just wanted to get your overall thoughts on the game and how it played out, because I think watching it back, because I was only able to watch it through a bar um, and a lot of people in a crowded um Christmas meal I had to attend which was incredibly frustrating but you saw it live and you saw it on French coverage and fair to say you went through a a number of emotions because probably the 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 better side quote unquote on the night went out not that we care what was your overall assessment of the game as a whole I think that the first thing I'd say is that you know yes France are world champions and yes they've got recent big tournament pedigree and all that kind of thing but and probably it is that kind of collective sort of uh muscle memory of those big moments that saw them through in the end but actually I I strongly feel that in a way they started this match as underdogs 
um, you know, England are coming off being finalists in the last major tournament, whereas France crashed and burned. France have got a lot of injuries. And I know now there's a lot of revisionists. Oh, well, you can't count Pogba and Conte as injuries because they've been long-term injured. France have been dealing without them for a long time. It doesn't matter. These are still two world-class midfielders we're missing. We're missing the Bundesliga player of the year and top scorer. We're missing the Ballon d'Or. We're missing... Um, uh, us two would disagree, but anyway, apparently uh, uh, an international class left centre-back starter. We're missing arguably one of the best goalkeepers in the world. This is decimated, maybe is too strong a word, but we're missing pretty much, I mean, almost uh, a team that could qualify for the World Cup or be a genuine challenger for the World Cup by itself. We're playing with you know, I'm, I'm going to sort of put him down just because a lot of other people do. But we're playing with a 36-year-old second-choice centre-forward. We're playing with um, a complete novice at centre-back, playing slightly out of position, playing alongside someone who's still finding his way back to full fitness. We're supposedly playing with a goalkeeper who's way past his best. And by the way, that's I'm only sort of bringing that one up because... Loris basically admitted after the match that the criticism that he got and the English coverage saying he's the weakest link was an extra motivation for him. We're playing with a right back who isn't a right back. We're playing with a left back who arguably isn't a left back, but certainly wasn't the first choice left back at the start of the tournament. We're playing with two midfielders who between them have got less than, I think, 50 caps. We're playing with a third midfielder who's not a midfielder and is kind of learning a new trade completely on the job. Um, to, whereas on England's side, it's a very settled team who've been sort of playing together for much longer, who've been sort of more consistently picked over the last year or two. Uh, I, I genuinely feel that it's not unfair to say that actually France went into this as underdogs. And I think in a way, the way they played sort of bore that out because I thought they started on the front foot, but then as soon as they took the lead, they they suddenly went into kind of, I uh, can't think of the phrase, but like looking to just preserve that lead, um, which ironically is kind of what England have been criticised for in, in the, the last World Cup semi-final and the Euro final. Um, <clears throat> and I thought that was a kind of tactic of an underdog rather than sort of showing confidence and looking to, to build on that lead. They kind of went into their shells. And yeah, I, I don't think it's a, a, a shock to say that I agree with all the English coverage to the extent that I think England were the better team. That's not to say that England deserved to win necessarily, but they controlled large patches of the match and, and you know, a couple of, shots that went you know either way the Saka one that flashed just past the post the Maguire one that hit the post or the outside of the post um you know an inch or two either way and it could have gone very differently but France actually didn't concede too many clear chances probably had as many or just a, one or two fewer than England did and they had those those sort of one or two match-winning moments. And I don't know if that's, as I said, because those 
particular players are kind of used to having those moments and just know how to surpass themselves. There's a very good, if very pretentious, article by Jonathan Liu in The Guardian saying that kind of thing. But I don't know if it's just that tiny extra bit of belief because they've been there and done that and so earned that belief and that's just what England are missing. Or it's just, you know, there's no point being all pseudo about it and it's just a bit of luck and sometimes it goes your way, sometimes it doesn't. But yeah, I think, you know, you have to hold up, hold your hands up and say England are probably the better team. Um, but I think France fought very hard. I do think there's those mitigating circumstances to, to suggest that it's reasonable to have expected England to be the better team because I think they are the more sort of they're more what you can call a team at the moment. I think France is still that team that France put out. They're still very much finding their way and learning, getting to know each other, really. Mm. Um, and that is what I think Deschamps is so good at. It's kind of what he did four years ago. It's what he's doing now. Um, and I think, you know, a good team sort of wins matches easily, but also wins matches in adversity. And so hopefully that's a good sign. And we'll come on to... The next match and all the worries I've got about that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, worries that I probably share with you. It's, it is funny, isn't it, how how things change? Because I know pre-tournament, I mean, I know you you were pessimistic as well, but even the media were like, mm, you know, there was, of course, there was the whole France are going to implode thing, which we laughed off because we knew that wasn't the case. Then there was the injuries, you know, Pogba dropping out, Benzema dropping out, um, the loss of Kante previously. There was a lot going on and then people then after they'd gone through all those excuses or all those sort of things that they wanted France to fail at it was then well that's an unproven midfield and you know they just haven't got the depth it is funny how now all of a sudden when you look at that that France team they have pretty much stuck to the core group of the starters I mean you know there isn't really you could you would you could say arguably that none of those who came in against Tunisia deserve to get into this starting lineup now based on that performance but they have largely stuck with this this uh, sort of setup, and the opening <coughs> goal scorer is is a a mark of that. Sure, many. I mean, I, I can't remember the last time I saw him hit a shot from that distance for Monaco or for Real Madrid, but he he struck that so cleanly, and he's grown, hasn't he, in, in this tournament? And I thought that midfield area, although yes, England were probably the better side <coughs> tonight, that midfield has taken a lot of scrutiny pre-tournament, but that Rabiot. Uh, link with Shumani and then of course Griezmann who we'll come on to in a minute it's it's been really good hasn't it it's been really positive the substitution thing I think or the yeah I mean I, I said about England having a more settled team probably even more importantly it's a more settled squad mm. and you know people always talk about the strength and depth of France and it's true like like I said you you take away almost a, a full first team and most countries wouldn't be able to sort of recover from that at all and France have got a strong enough squad that they can do that but now effectively it means that their bench is a C team um, and you know England brought on we can have a debate and I'm sure with your Arsenal hats on you've got views um, about Saka in general but um, we can have a debate about Saka being taken off and whether that was the right or wrong thing to do but the fact is they were able to bring on players like Rashford like Sterling um, as a Mason Mount as well. You know, these are good players who've already done something internationally. Whereas, you know, okay, Turam was about to come on when Shuri scored, but in the end, the only player that Deschamps sort of had confidence to bring on was Coman with 12 minutes left. 
which also, which says something about how thinly France is stretched at the moment, which again, to me, is another reason why actually I think England were conceivably the the, the sort of favourites for this match. And yeah, as, as we said, like they're sort of growing into each other and this midfield is a, is a big factor in that. I mean, I don't think Truamini has hit the heights yet at all. I think he actually is playing a little bit like he's a bit pissed off with the role he's been given. I don't think he particularly wants to be just the sitter but I think he's willing to put up with that just for this tournament. Um, he's got a lot of work to do. He's covering a lot of space because Rabio is kind of doing a little bit of um, Mbappe's sort of defensive work and Griezmann is doing a little bit of everything, of course. <laughs> um, so Chiuameni has got a hell of a lot of work to do. And, and yeah, as you said, I mean, I've seen the sort of, I've only looked at the BBC commentary where, you know, Danny Murphy showing his usual knowledge of football was saying, you know, we certainly didn't expect that from someone like Chiuameni. He has got a good long shot on him. He does, he did score goals like that for for Monaco. Mm. Um, And it shows that when he's allowed to go forward, that's what he can do. And, and, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure we'll see that too much of that again in the next couple of matches. But the good thing is it also shows that, you know, it's yet another um, attacking possibility for France and another thing for the opposition to think about. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I, I should caveat by saying, I'm not saying he has never scored from distance. I'm saying I, I definitely can't remember those goals. <laughs> it seems like forever ago. But um, yeah, you know, really good strike and, and off to a flyer. And um I, some people said Pickford could have done better. He's, he has got very little arms, um, but I just thought it was the, the cleanness of the strike that, um, that that got the goal. What did you make of the quote-unquote foul? I mean, you brought up Saka. I, I did think he was, along with probably Declan Rice, England's best player. Um, I think he came off. Suggestions he had a bit of a kick, but knowing Saka, as, as I do, he gets kicked up and down the pitch every weekend for Arsenal, doesn't come off. So I think that was more of a tactical decision and a wrong one. But the, the English media were were crying a lot about this so-called foul by Upamecano. Um, and maybe if you wanted to, you can touch on the um, the, the non-penalty that Harry Kane sort of threw himself to the floor on the edge of the box over as well. Um, the two incidents together, did, did you think both were fouls? I I didn't think the Upamecano one was myself. I just thought he was stronger. Um, I think there's a slight bit of fortune with the Kane one before. What was your thoughts on those two? I thought the Kane one was definitely a foul, but also definitely outside the area. Yeah. Um, I still don't really understand how VAR works. If they're only allowed to rule on whether or not it was a penalty, then that's a bit harsh because it should have been a foul and it probably should have been a booking, but it was not a penalty. Um, The Upamecano one, I don't think it was a foul, but... You know, whether it was or not, it was debatable enough. It wasn't scandalous. And even if it was a foul, it happened near France's corner flag. Mm. And if you're going to be blaming that for a goal that happens, whatever, like, you know, half a minute and 20 passes, whatever it was down the line, then you're lacking a little bit of self-examination there. I mean, you know, how is Mbappe allowed to skip inside as far as he went? How is... Griezmann allowed to be given so much time to um, lay the ball off to to Chiuameni. How is Chiuameni allowed to um, take a touch and set himself before having the shot? Um, how did Pickford allow it to to escape his grasp? You know, if you're going to blame that one debatable and probably not even wrong decision on everything that happened afterwards, then 
you're an idiot basically <laughs> and then for the refereeing in general and people mostly I don't know like people said the second penalty is disgraceful even went to VAR what does it matter it went to VAR the right decision was made I've seen people say well then why wasn't Hernandez sent off that was disgusting he wasn't sent off because there was no way it was a goal scoring opportunity because the ball had gone miles over both their heads which just made Hernandez's decision to barge him over even more stupid and I can only imagine that the referee had the same view as me which was he couldn't have done something that stupid so I must have misseen it yeah um as to Saka that you might again you might have a different view or maybe your view changes according to what color Saka is wearing but to me it's a contact sport it's a physical sport um some of them may have been fouls, some of them may have not been, but, and he's unfortunate that he's half the size of Upamecano, for example, but come on, like, you know, for English fans of all nations, for English fans, you know, have a look at how Terry Fennick treated Maradona in 86, for example, to complain about a little bit of physicality is complete bullshit. There were no scandalous decisions. And I'm, I'm genuinely, genuinely shocked that there's been so much focus on the referee. I don't think he had a particularly good game, but I don't think he had a particularly good game in both directions. I think he ignored the constant imaginary card waving of the English players. He ignored some of Saka's were just blatant dives. Kane obviously had a couple as well. Um, I thought Bellingham was pretty dirty all the way through the match. And there are a couple of particularly nasty fouls that he could easily have been booked for. Um, I thought Mbappe was tripped several times and the referee didn't give him anything all match. Um, I, he didn't have a good game, but I don't think he had a good game in both directions. And Typically, the English coverage hasn't suggested that in any way. And, you know, I just, I genuinely, look, I'm, I'm not gloating. I genuinely was petrified about this match. I genuinely think England are on the up. This team is still young. I'm still sort of already worried for the next tournament and the one after that, because I really think that they're now close to taking that extra step. But... Since 1966, and by the way, one of the worst refereeing decisions in history, yet you never hear the English complain about that one, England have never been knocked out because they weren't good enough. It's always because Ronaldo winked or Simeone kicked or there's always an excuse. And, you know, like that first goal, if there was a little bit more self-examination, maybe England would have won something else by now. And mm. it really pisses me off. It was really not such a bad refereeing performance especially when you consider the the one the night before between the Netherlands and Argentina for example yeah and I think you also have to mention um you know as you say like you I don't want to sort of glow I, I did enough of that I went fishing on Twitter on Saturday it's great fun um but all jokes aside I think you do have to look at England's uh, and I know this is about France but England's performance, if you look at the teams that they have beaten in knockout competitions since they won the World Cup in 1966, which is, by the way, over 50 years ago now, um, you know, they haven't beaten any of the big boys. Uh, and the only, probably the only big boy they have beaten in the last few tournaments was a very ageing end of cycle Germany side. So when you look at it, and I, I, got, I won't rule out the teams, but, you know, we are talking sort of Colombia, Senegal, and, and not it's not a knock at those teams, but they are second tier aren't they they're not sort of the highest 
tier that you would say. And, and I would argue that, that England currently are in that second tier of teams. They're ultimately not in the same bracket as France. But like you, I did have concerns. You know, I'm not, not going to lie. I mean, I, I, I made the point at the time of the last World Cup. I'm not going to say second tier. I'm not going to say England is second tier. I'm not going to say all those other countries are second tier. But in the last World Cup and probably in the Euro and in this tournament as well, they beat the teams that they should have beaten and lost to the teams that they should have lost to. So there hasn't been a sort of exploit yet, if you want. Mm. Um, I guess the only difference is that maybe in the past they didn't even do that. Although even then, I'm not sure. You look at the teams they lost to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that goes back to what I said at the start. I think, you know, afterwards people might have said, oh, this is the first time they have beaten a bigger team a bigger nation in terms of what's been achieved in recent years. But as I said, I, I actually think this England team or squad were favourites. And so, you know, arguably this was as good an opportunity as they may ever get. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, I probably didn't put the, the as good an opportunity as since the last World Cup where they had a ridiculously kind draw and that was yeah. as good an opportunity as they would have got or the Euro where they Euro were allowed to play almost match. every match at home that was the big <laughs> chance wasn't it yeah um really quickly actually by the way I'm one of the very few and I, I I genuinely don't know of any certainly from the other podcast I'm a part of um who actually does tend to agree that that Zaka does don't get it wrong I think in the Premier League he does get what I used to call the Grealish treatment when he was at Villa where he just got kicked every single game the only issue well, Grealish I have... also is one of the biggest divers in the game and was also, also one of the subs who came on yeah that's also true I I just think I think with Saka I I think that initially um and we're going back to Premier League football here I felt like he was um he was targeted definitely as one of Arsenal's best players but I think now he's on that dangerous precipice of getting known by referees or others for being, you know, for going over easily. I, I personally don't think he is a diver, but I do think sometimes he lets the contact come. And I think you're risking it there because then when you get that reputation, you know, you don't get the decisions like Upamecano. And I, I genuinely feel that despite Upamecano having a mixed game, I thought he was a little bit, uh, he, he sort of almost wanted to anticipate everything and that put him in awkward positions at times. I felt like he jumped in a little bit at times. But that aside, I, I just didn't think it was a foul. I just felt like it was two, as you said, you know, two professional players. One was a, a lot larger in stature than the other, outmuscled him, and there was a bit of a tangle of legs, and that was it. And as you say, there was plenty of transition time before the goal occurred. Um, By the way, the, about... I haven't seen it mentioned anywhere. The only decision that I thought the referee got horrifically wrong was to not book many for the first penalty. Yeah, which would, which would have put him out of the semi-final. That is also fair. Yeah, yeah. In the interest of fairness, that is completely right. Um, the Obviously, the penalty was, was put away by Harry Kane. <laughs> I think Hugo Lloris after the game, which, by the way, I, I have to say, you know, we talked before the World Cup, I was in favour of when Mike Mannion was fit. I did think maybe this might be the tournament to do it. Whatever his form at Tottenham, he's a different player for France. So, you know... Uh, hold my hands up there. I've definitely got that one wrong because he's he's been pretty good in this tournament, if not very good. Um, couple of big saves in this game, but he he opened break, break the record as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, consistently has been France's best goalkeeper for for the time he's he's been in there, and you know, it can't be debated at this point. But he did say in the interview after the game that that particularly the first penalty he thought Kane would go 
the he he thought that because they knew each other, Kane would change and would go to the opposite side, um, and essentially took a gamble. It didn't pay off, and obviously later on it did. What was your thoughts when England equalised just before we go on to France to retaking the lead? Because it sort of did feel like you had. I think you had the Bellingham shot. Um, that's the world's greatest player, G. Bellingham, by the way. I couldn't resist. Um, you had a couple of, I think, the Harry Maguire header that hit the post, and England were they were definitely pushing, weren't they? They were definitely the the side that were on the uh, on the force, if you will, in terms of, of, of pressing France back. And at that point, I probably would have imagined you were as nervous as I was, except I couldn't even see it at the time. <laughs> but it was a bit nervy, wasn't it, when England seemed to take control of the game after that equaliser? Yeah, I mean, as I said, you know, England were from when France scored, England were the better team. So the goal was coming. Um, I suppose that one sort of positive, if that's the right word to use, was that it took a, you know, a bit of a rash challenge and a, and a penalty that England weren't, you know, the Bellingham save looked spectacular, but it was a relatively regulation save. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the, even the Kane saves in the first half, as long as Loris is coming off his line quickly and the other one was a deflection, they were sort of, if he hadn't saved them, you'd have questioned the goalkeeping. So although England were on top, I don't think they were creating clear-cut chances, really. Um, I was, yeah, obviously very nervous once they equalised, but also part of me thought, well, now they're back square one, hopefully that means they'll start playing again, which they sort of did for five minutes or so. There was that, that Rabiot chance, and there was another a bit after, I can't remember which one, and then England got on top again. Mm, yeah, because Ravio was straight from kickoff, wasn't it, when, when the, uh, the penalty went in? I thought it was actually a pretty good chance, to be fair, and he kind of just put it slightly more towards Pickford than the corner. But yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. What was your thought? We, we heard the audio, of course. Um, I sent you a clip on Twitter this, this afternoon of the, the side <laughs> angle, which was obviously taken by... It's one of my pet peeves, I have to stress, people that just video a game when they're at a game. I just don't understand. Going to a concert, videoing it, I don't get it. But, you know, that by the by, it was one of those videos that I quite enjoyed watching, to be fair. And it's somebody videoing from the crowd where Griezmann picks up the ball on that left-hand side, whips in a, a delicious cross. And, and that man was there again, Giroud, who he tested Pickford's in the play before, which I think led to a corner and the ball's recycled and, and that happened. It it just felt like a massive goal. It proved to be a massive goal. Um, I won't repeat what you said to me in the message earlier on, but it was definitely emotional in terms of the reaction, you know, the, the, the players sort of racing, ra- racing to each other and Bappe and Griezmann had a really lovely moment. And Giroud is inevitable, isn't he? As Phil would say, he's just inevitable and, and a really good header. Um, to put France back in front. What was your sort of feeling at that point? Um, yeah, I mean, I think Giroud had a tough game. It's funny that often, like, people, when you're playing a team that have got, like, two big centre-backs, everyone says, bring in Giroud, that's that's when you need Giroud. And I find that he often, it's not that he struggles against them, but he really sort of has a standout match. But I think it's, like, sort of classic Giroud, kind of in the shadows, sort of keeping them occupied, knackering them out, I think, as I might have said before, like Van Dijk recently said that Giroud's his toughest opponent just because at the end of the match, you're you're sort of shattered from him working you physically. Um, You know, to be fair to the likes of Maguire, I think they shackled Giroud very well for most of the match. Um, 
we'll talk I guess we'll talk about Mbappe and you know the whole concept of creating space or you know yeah sacrificing yourself for others but um yeah for a lot of the match you barely got a look in and then yeah in that five minute period I think there was a cross that sort of just was like a little bit too high for him then he had that chance which typically I saw a lot of people say oh Giroud hit it straight at the keeper when it was easier to score which I watched again on purpose after reading that and it's crap yeah um and then he was there in the right place at the right time I mean again really uncharitable people could say well, you look at the sort of flight of the ball, it came off him, then came off Maguire and changed direction. It should be an own goal, whatever, I don't care. He was there. Um, it was that combination again. It was a perfect cross. And it's almost, again, as an Arsenal fan, you'll tell me what you think of that. But I was speaking to someone yesterday who was like, typical bloody Giroud after he walked out on Arsenal. I was like, what? <laughs> no, no. We walked out it. on Arsenal? Yeah, we, we, we were the ones who let him go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and I regret it. I mean, I wasn't in charge of that decision, I should stress. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, again, I'm, I'm genuinely not gloating. I genuinely, although I can't stand Harry Kane I feel sorry for him I'm not going to sort of take any pleasure in it but um I it was particularly nice to see Giroud get that goal after not always getting the credit he's deserved in England mm. yeah 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 I know I, I completely agree and um and I say he he just feels inevitable at this point you mentioned the Mbappe situation I've seen so many salty people sort of come out oh well you know Walker pocketed Mbappe and it just proves that against the better defenders Walker had his number and and England nullified him and I didn't feel like that was the case at all he was he was pivotal in the the opening goal in terms of I think it was stones that he spun to create the space for for Shurmany to receive the pass from that right hand side from Dembele and yeah, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't his finest game. But I, I, what I really noticed in particular watching the game back was his work rate was there. He was actually putting in a shift. There was a lot of, I wouldn't say defensive plays, but he was tracking back. That's what's Dembele for, for a number of moments as well, which was fun. Um, but you you sort of noticed a few things about that that Walker and Mbappe duel as well. What was your kind of feelings on that? I mean, firstly, the... The whole Walker and Mbappe thing all week was absolutely ridiculous and so mm-hmm. disrespectful to both teams, frankly, to reduce it to that. Um, I don't think Mbappe had his greatest game, but, it, I, you know, it wasn't like oh, Walker dominated him. You know, Mbappe tried to out-sprint him loads of times and never got, you know, never beat him. It wasn't a case of that. It just it seemed to very rarely come down to a sort of one-on-one. Or Although England attacked a lot down that flank, France seemed not to and by the way I think a lot of the time France's problem was that the front three were doing a defensive shift to the extent that when France got the ball back there was no one to pass it to Mm -hmm. there's no one up there and there are a couple of times where Giroud in particular just shattered Um, but yeah in terms of Mbappe I mean to me it was very much like um, in an American football match where your star receiver doesn't receive the ball or match because you know that he's going to be double teamed and therefore you know that someone else is always going to be free. So he's mm. sort of doing his job there without actually doing anything by keeping other people occupied. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as much as anything, he prevented Walker from providing too much support on the flank where Hernandez was having a nightmare anyway. So I think he did his job in that sense. As you said, he had a part, a big part in the first goal. He's the one that sort of 
skipped across the pitch and basically sort of changed from changed the ball from from one end to the other. And then I thought at the end of the match, certainly after the penalty, he was excellent at um, just holding the ball up. I mean, you know, there were a couple of times where you're like, please don't go David Ginola in '94 <laughs> or '93, <laughs> but. Um, you know, uh, he was really sensible. He could have tried to beat someone or put in a cross or something like that. And he knew just to keep the ball, eat up the time. As I said, should have had a couple of fouls given in his favour, which weren't. Um, kept his head down. And as you said, even when it came to sort of celebrating the goal, um, you know, we know that he's had his run-ins with Giroud and with, or not run-ins, but tensions with Griezmann in the past. But know when that goal was scored he went straight to Griezmann to sort of congratulate him then to Giroud and then gave them the chance to celebrate together it was it was beautiful Mm. and and his what I liked about this performance as well is it it shows to me a maturity that he he sacrificed sort of the glory that he's had in in most of the games so far at this tournament to just put in the shift And, and the thing when you're that talented and indeed you're that quick it doesn't matter if you're having you know, an off game. I mean, look at Messi. I mean, he's literally carrying Argentina through this tournament at the moment. When you're, when you've got is a he... player who, well, I mean, he's, he's had his, he, he, I feel, I feel like Argentina sort of defend for their lives and then hope Messi does something basically. Yeah. That's how it seems to be. I just, I just feel like Messi is, uh, is he as good as, look, he has been as good as people say. Has he been as good? in this tournament, as people say, or is it just because it's messy, we have to sort oh, yeah, of multiply by five everything he does? Yeah, I mean, he's, he scored a couple of pens and, and won a <laughs> good goal, which was brilliant footwork and a, and a good fit. No, I, I agree with that. I think it's more the, I guess the point I'm making is is Mbappe and probably Haaland, you, you put in this category now, and, and Messi would have to, you, you probably would put Ronaldo in this category when he's not throwing a hissy fit and storming off. You, players like that, you can't switch off for a second and that keeps defenders' minds occupied. And yeah. I felt like at all times, you know, Maguire, Walker, Stones, etc., they could not switch off. And even towards the end, I think when Giroud went up for a header, when France was sort of trying to play out the time and um, Stones got that injury, that all came because Mbappe's run, I think it was a goal kick from Loris, but Mbappe's run out to that left-hand side was what pulled one defender out of the position, which put Stones the only guy who had to sort of run into the position to, to then mark Giroud. It's just little things like that, the movement that I guess a lot of people who just watch football for the goals and, you know, the PSG element of it will not see in, in what a player he is. Um, and he's, you know, we, we know he's still got a lot to learn. He's, what, 23 now? There's still plenty, plenty to come, which is frightening. Um, one other thing before we have a bit of a Griezmann love him, because, you know, we have to, that's law. Um what was or what whereabouts was the lump in your throat when that second penalty was given? <laughs> because um I was I sort of heard through the grapevine that there were there was a check going on and I was in contact with you and a friend and frantically trying to find a TV to, <laughs> to see what had gone on. Um first of all, no debate it was a pen, wasn't it? I mean, I think Teo Hernandez, I think we both agree he's far better going forward than he is going the other way. It struck me as a bit of a panic decision. Uh, I think he felt like he wasn't going to get to it and, and just tried to get away with one. Any dis- any debate at all that it was a pen for you? No, none at all. I mean, like I said, I was watching French TV and I think they were like, when it first happened and then they said they were going to VAR, they were like, oh no, it was shoulder barge, shoulder barge. And then they showed it and like, 
no, we're just wishful thinking. It's a bit like, more than a shoulder like, barge, wasn't it? Yeah. I think probably I'm trying to be generous to him. He was frazzled after having a really bad match, but yeah, that's fair. Yeah, um, was so stupid. I mean, neither of them had a chance of getting to the ball. There was actually one a bit earlier where, I mean, arguably it's not his fault. Maybe he should have had a call from someone. Where there was another one that was sailing easily out, and sort of Loris tipped it out and gave England a corner, which could have been hmm. uh, obviously could have led to something which was strange as well. But no, blatant penalty. Um, I was not happy about it. I mean, at least it was two one at the time and not one all. Mm. Um, I have to admit, on... I didn't. I didn't watch it. Be, <laughs> I went to one honest. of the other tabs on my screen. <laughs> Something else and hope for the best. Be, be honest though, and and I'll be I'll be honest and admit this. I felt that if that went in, there was only one winner. That's how I felt. I'm not saying that's what I you know believed or trusted, but I felt like if England got back to two two, it was either going to extra time and pens or you know England were going to go on and win it. I don't know why. I just it just that's how I felt. Did you feel the same way? No, I didn't. Not really. Because I mean, I'm just going to use the example of the night before. But it's a bad example because Argentina did win in the end, but only on penalties. But I don't think it was as much a kick in the guts as as what happened to to Argentina sort of 2-0 up and then conceding two in the last sort of seven, ten minutes, whatever it was. Mm. Um, you know, England, as we said, had already been on top. Even with the goal going in, there was still time to react. So, no, I, I didn't really get that feeling. I don't, yeah. Okay. I can't uh, really explain why, but I didn't. No, I, I, I was I was crapping it, I'm not going to lie. Um, but then of all, of all people, and, you know, this will shock you all <coughs> I'm no fan of Harry Kane, um, but but I did, you know, I just expected him to score. Some people have said there's a train of thought that they should have changed the penalty taker. I guess I'm in the camp that says, yeah, but if they did and that person missed, Kane would have been blamed for bottling it. So I don't really think they could have won, which would have been very Spursy, by the way. But um, I, I feel like Laurie's got in Kane's head in that second one. Um, and I don't think enough is being made of this um, because Loris actually does go the right way. And in the interview after the, the game, where doesn't, he go, doesn't it go sort of bang up the middle? It's kind I I feel like if it's on target, I think Loris does that. Do you remember the David Seaman save against Sampdoria all those years ago where he sort of is going down and then just puts a big arm up and tips right. it over? It felt like that would have, would have been, that's how I saw it. Uh, I felt like it, it was slightly slightly towards the left. But as you say, middle, middle, upper left, I guess is where, but it wasn't quite in the corner. Um, but Laurie said after the game that, that he said he felt that Kane almost tried to hit it too hard, tried to put a bit more on it. And there, there is this there is this sort of school of thought that 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 penalty that Kane knew that he'd done. He caught Laurie's out on the first one. And he felt that this one had to be absolutely precise. So he had to get it right in the corner. Um, same with the, the Marquinhos penalty uh, for Brazil, where, you know, it, obviously he hit the post and it just looked like he felt like he had to get it exactly right in the corner. Um, Loris obviously goes semi the right way, depending which way you look at it. And, and Kane blasts it high and wide. And it just felt like then, barring the Rashford free kick, which I must admit I hid behind the sofa on watching, so to speak, it, it just felt like all the energy went out of England when when that was missed. Did you, did you, I mean, would you have given any credit to Loris on that one or is it just purely one of those things? I don't feel like 
<coughs> I can't I can't see what Loris did to say that he got in Kane's head. I think more likely Kane got in his own head because they know each other so well. It sort of reminds me of you know Zidane against Buffon in the final in 2006 and yeah. everyone said oh they know each other so well surely Buffon's got a great chance here and Zidane comes up with a Penenka off the bar. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, you know if he missed the first one then you'd maybe said even more so that it came down to that but as you said I mean for me centre forwards especially free free scoring centre forwards should be taking penalties all day long I don't even think they should be counted when it comes to sort of top scorer charts mm. I know it's a pathetic hill to die on but it's something I feel strongly about um and so yeah I agree with you that I think had Kane not taken it it would have been bottling it a little bit um having scored the first one you know he's the one who should have sort of been more confident and I Hitler, who knows? It just happens sometimes, you know. Who cares? Right? Blasted one over the bar in '86 against Brazil. Baggio, mm. after being the player of the tournament in '94, it just happens. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that the occasion got to him. I'm not saying, like I read somewhere, that it's because Southgate made the team focus too much on politics and LGBTQ plus rights, <laughs> which is almost as bad a chain of causation as saying that Upamecano foul was why Chiromeni scored. Yeah, um, yeah. I, there there may be may have been mind games, but I'm not convinced Loris had much to do with it. I think it might have been Kane. If it, if there were any, I think it's probably more Kane beating himself. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. And, and as you mentioned, the Loris record as well um, in this particular game it should highlight that. But I do want to give. Uh, I, I have to say, give... when I thought it might go to penalties, that's when I was suddenly really missing Menuel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he does have that um, that presence about him, doesn't he? <laughs> What um, what more can be said of of one Anton Griezmann? Because he he's very quietly been one of the best players at this tournament across any uh, any of the nations. I think he's been by far and away France's best player, despite Mbappe's goals. Um, he's not got anywhere near the credit. Maybe he has in France. You would be able to tell me better than than anyone, but. I don't feel like in particularly the UK coverage I've seen, he got a bit more on Saturday night. To be fair. Um, I think he was described by one TV pundit as a, as a pleasure to watch, but it, I don't, th- I don't feel like enough's being made of the fact that this is a guy who has had an awful uh, first half of the season through no fault of his own at Atletico Madrid. You know, been stifled under Simeone's tactics, but also more importantly, just not playing. Um, but not only that, he's come into a tournament with a lot of pressure on his shoulders. He's that that's consi- that consistency of is it seventy two consecutive games now, and he's changed position. He's he's basically reinvented himself, and and he's become. I think we already knew Deschamps thought the world of him. I think we know that anyway. But he has become the Pogba, the Kante, that the absolute key to this linking of midfield um, and striking and wide play and defending. He's done it all. It he's just so. He's just so likable, isn't he? And and that's what makes me laugh that some people can't stand the fact he likes Fortnite dances and you know all these trivial fun goal scores. It's just really lovely to see a player enjoying himself, playing the sport he loves, and being so bloody good at it. He's just been so good, hasn't he, in this tournament? And this is, and again, this game, you know, the assists aside, just his positioning, his runs, his work rate, just has everything, doesn't he? 
But a tiny part of me doesn't really understand why so much fuss is being made about him playing in this new position, because as far as I'm concerned, that's what he's been doing for years now. Mm. Um, playing, just popping up everywhere, making fantastic um, last-ditch tackles, coming back to win the ball back, giving support to, to his defence when other forward players are not going to do that, being exiled to the wing to, to help out when other bigger egos in the centre are already stepping on each other's feet, yet still coming up with assists. And, and OK, now, because he's more he's playing more deeply more often, the, the goals are, are going to be less likely. But remember, he's still France's third all-time goal scorer when not an out-and-out goal you know, centre-forward himself. So part of me thinks, why is anyone seeing any of this as a revelation? And part of me agrees with everything that you said, that he comes off the back of a terrible, you know, actually the last couple of months haven't been so bad since Barcelona and Atletico sort out, sorted out his contract and he's been allowed to play more. And maybe it's worked to everyone's advantage that he's a bit fresher. But yeah. his last two or three years have been horrific. You know, it hasn't worked. It didn't work out with Barcelona. Then he was the kind of pawn in Barcelona and Atletico's financial troubles and that kind of thing. And yet he keeps his head down. And certainly for France, he's just immense all the time. And, and this match was sort of him in a nutshell. You know, the periods when he went a bit quiet or kind of had to focus more on, on giving Kunde that little bit of support and, and sort of, you know, running off the ball and, um, you know, tracking back and marking players, but not necessarily winning the ball back himself, was when England were on top. And as soon as, you know, for short periods, he got back in the ball and he was dictating play, suddenly France were on top again. And, OK, the first goal is one of those ones where maybe it's a little bit genuine, uh, generous to call it an assist. But either way, he was the one who sort of was there to give the ball to Chiromeni. And the second one was just a, a beauty of a cross. And again, it's no coincidence that he came up with those final two touches, that he's now France's record assister. Mm. And that's aside from the third best goal scorer from, I still think, arguably their best tackler, um, their best engine, along with Rabiot in this World Cup. He just, he can do everything. And and yeah, as you said, I mean, I I find him likeable. Look, he's got he's had his issues in the past. He was part of that that group of five or six under twenty one players who got banned for for their sort of um, late night clubbing trip antics. Um, yeah, and you know there was the sort of blackface thing, which yeah. obviously wasn't great. Part of me just you see him and he's almost like a man child. Like he's still very childish in a way, but I think a quite endearing way. And I just. Uh, I, we do this every week. It's either him or Giroud or both, but he's just mm. he's fantastic. No, I agree with you. He just, he just I say, he just comes across as a very likable guy. And and in the dressing room, you know, he strikes me as the he strikes me as like that kid in in the exam who farts and it cuts out all the tension in the exam hall. Like you know, <laughs> what I mean, like it's just that sort of you know everybody's on edge, and then you know there's the 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 the, the class clown, but in a good way and. Like I said, even in even in the training videos, the, the videos where you see the team going back into the hotel, he's just bouncing around and, you know. He's uh, also, I think, also importantly, he's, like one, he's one of the sort of links between the two generations because yeah. 
you know, you've got your Giroux and Lorises who are, are getting on a bit now. And then you've got the, the younger ones who probably don't have too much in common with those kinds of players. And he, he seems to be one of the ones who gets along with both. Mm, yeah. Um, I think that's important too. And apparently he, you know, Lekip have, in the last two matches, they said it was Varane against Poland and, and Griezmann against England that, you know, everyone's saying, well, who's going to replace Pogba as, as being the big talker in the in the changing rooms and they're saying it's not you know they've got their different ways of doing it but these people are stepping up yeah yeah absolutely right absolutely right and and all of the all of that when all the dust had settled and uh, the 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 sort of gnashing of teeth about sort of uh, particularly from the british uh, english media i should say and um hats off to the sun by the way making themselves like absolute idiots once again well done to you guys um but yeah i mean when when all was said and done as I said to a few people who sort of doubted France and said, oh, you know, England with the better side, et cetera. And I said, well, yeah, maybe so. But ultimately, the, the team who had the nous got it done. And, and you know, the, the team that have the experience got that win. And that's all I care about, if I'm completely honest. That does mean, though, um, before we go, uh, we should look ahead to what is upcoming, which is the semi-final. Argentina will play Croatia tomorrow. We're recording on the Monday. Um I genuinely can't call that. Um, I, I feel like Argentina on paper are probably favourites, but you know who knows? Croatia, we have previous. Let's say that much. But what's your thoughts on the Morocco game, which will see Kylian Mbappe face one of his best mates in Hakimi? I see they've joined up in Doha in their PSG uh, kits today. It's a nice video of them two catching up on Instagram. What's your thoughts on on that semi final? Because it is not going to be easy, is it? No, I think it's a massive potential banana skin. I think, again, sort of harping back to, to where I started, I don't, I think it really in a way did France a, a favour that all these injuries meant that expectations were dampened a little bit. And uh, I think whoever won the England France match, probably fair to say that they're now, they were going to be favourites for the tournament. And so, yeah, I think it's probably reasonable for people to be saying France are now the favourites, especially considering they've got Morocco, which on paper is not only the easy, I don't want to say easiest, but yeah, mean. on paper looks like the most straightforward of the three other semi-finalists, but also more straightforward than Portugal, whom it could have been. Mm. But there's so many sort of uh, potential issues if that's the right word first of all France have not got a great record against African nations in the World Cup Senegal South Africa Tunisia this World Cup yeah um secondly there's the um I mean there's actually not that many France-born players in this in this Morocco 11 but there, there are players who've gone obviously through through Liga and um there is sort of the kind of connection and you know, love-hate relationship with the country as a whole anyway. So there's that extra little element of tension there. And then there's just how brilliant Morocco have been in this World Cup. They've come through a group with two of the semi-finalists from the last World Cup. They've beaten a team who'd scored seven goals in the group stage. They beat a team who'd scored six goals in the second round against with Switzerland semi-finalists or quarter-finalists in the, in the last Euro. So, you know, they've, so they've played, you know, four of their five matches have been against top, top opposition. 
they've averaged about 30% possession, yet they've also averaged fewer than two shots on target a game. They've only conceded one goal, and that was a deflected own goal. So there's no... And that they also attack in numbers. It's not fair to say that they, you know, just put 10 behind the ball or whatever. So, yeah, this it's would be stupid of anyone to say that this is a formality. Morocco are there because they absolutely deserve to be there. Mm. And, you know, I guess that the worry for them maybe is injuries sort of piling up or, or possibly sort of lack of fitness. But even then, maybe it's, it's good for them that they're playing France, who, because of their thin squad, have also not rotated much at all. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be, it's not going to be straightforward at all. And I think to sort of resort to cliches, I think the first goal is going to be huge. Because yeah, it, I agree. If Morocco give it, score it, it gives them something to defend. And mm. if, if France do, Morocco are going to have to open up a little bit more. Yeah, and as Morocco proved against both Spain and Portugal, with that ability to <coughs> get the goal and dig in is is really underrated. And, and you know, it has to be respected. Like you say, it's, Croatia have been very similar in terms of it's been quite a defensive setup, but you do have to admire it as two sides of football. And as you mentioned there, Onahi is, is getting a lot of praise in, in the British media now, who's currently playing for Angers, who we know are bottom of Liga, um, as is Sofian Buffal, which we, we talked about in the last pod. We mentioned Hakimi. Uh, and and also, um, uh, what's the other fella? Um, Naitha Gard. Messi. Well, <laughs> Messi, yeah. Uh, Naitha Gard, who went to West Ham, of course, in the summer yeah. um, from Rennes, who, who will know all about the likes of Mbappe. So there is that link between players that will know quite a lot about France's uh, starting eleven. So it will not be not be easy. Um, and I guess one final question I do have to ask you if, and I, I will keep it as if, I'm not looking too far ahead, but would you have a preference of Argentina or a repeat of the Croatia game? I mean, technically, it's if France get through, it's going to be a repeat of the last World Cup anyway, because of course they beat Argentina on route the last time and Greek Croatia in the final. Would you would you be a bit concerned about sort of either or, or would you fancy either or of those teams if France were to progress? Um, I think. I mean, obviously, I'm hoping partly because it's the earlier match, but partly because of the third number of thirty year olds on both sides. Hmm. I'm hoping that tomorrow goes to extra time. Yeah. Um, despite all the messy stuff I think I'd feel slightly more comfortable playing Argentina I just feel Croatia starting they've played each other so often recently that Croatia is starting to get on top of France um, mm. sort of mentally tactically and and their their midfield is so good I guess their their main issue is that they don't have an out and out goal scorer mm. but um and there's the yeah, revenge so good. and then element. even and you know and the penalty element that you feel mm. like you just can't get to penalties against Croatia yeah yeah true yeah and I, yeah I, I think in the last World Cup Croatia were fantastic going forward and and you know maybe there's something to do with the fact that um they were sort of bitten or you know ultimately didn't win even though they they were very good and very expansive against France in the final or maybe yeah. it's just because of the age of some of their players now that, as you said, they're, they're a lot more dour and, and defensive and not fun to watch at all in this World Cup. But mm. they're so, you know, they've got such good players. Their manager's so tactically astute that they're able to do it. 
yeah if it ain't broke don't fix it if it's working it gets you through then why would you change it yeah 100 um but just to stress we are not getting ahead of ourselves there was a, a massive semi-final at first and uh obviously we've got to try and get through that which we will cover on the next podcast uh, that game is on uh wednesday and the the Croatia Argentina game is tomorrow. I think they're both at seven o'clock UK, aren't they? They're both evening games. I think, so. I think, I think they are. Yeah, as far as I know. Um, but yeah, we'll be back to cover that game uh, probably on the Thursday. I would imagine. But at least that's I would have thought that's what we'll plan to do. Um, but yes, we will look forward to that. Um, I think that's all we've really got time for tonight. I feel like we've we've, we've covered plenty and we've gone deep. So uh, hopefully you have enjoyed. Um, and just think, Jez, in a week's time, we'll be talking about Liga again and it'll all be done and dusted. It's not, it's kind of nuts, isn't it? It seems to have flown by, but we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, right. Anything else you wanted to add or are you, are you happy with where we are? We're in the semi-finals. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But what, what more, what better way to end the podcast than that? Uh, we'll be back, as I say, on uh, a plan. Plan will probably be for the Thursday, but um, if it ends up being the Friday or whatever it may be, then you know where to find us. Keep an eye on the uh, the Twitter and obviously the, the uh, download will drop into your boxes on whichever system you happen to download us on. But thank you very much for joining us as always. Uh, Jez, it's been been a pleasure. Uh, we got there in the end. We we both went through the ringer on Saturday, but but we're there. So uh, many thanks for your time this evening. Thank you. And uh, onwards we go to the semi-finals. Let's hope for a positive performance, uh, or even if it's a terrible performance, let's hope for the right result as we face Morocco in the semi-final. Allez le bleu, and we'll speak to you very soon. <laughs>